You're listening to the Market Leaders Podcast, brought to you by Pipeline Plus. Professional service firms use Pipeline Plus to capture more business from their most important clients, prospects, and referral sources. Pipeline Plus delivers the simplest interface in the marketplace and in-app suggestions on exactly which actions to take to close the next deal. It's used as a standalone app in conjunction with business development coaching or as a CRM companion for more effective sales pipeline management. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit pipelineplus.com. Hello and welcome back to the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert, and today our guest is Mike Miller, who's the Chief Marketing and Business Development Officer at Prior Cashman. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. Mike, I'm interested first in talking to you a little bit about your background, but second, I'm really eager to get into this topic of a go-to market strategy that you've applied at your firm. So let's start with a little bit about you and your firm, and then we'll dive right in. Sounds good. Yeah. So as you said, I'm the Chief Marketing and BD Officer at Prior Cashman. We're about 200 attorneys, three offices, mostly in the media centers of Miami, LA, and New York. Been in legal marketing for about 10 or 11 years. Prior to that was in financial services and consulting. So basically full career in professional services marketing. Really always enjoyed the positioning and strategy and go to market. So this is a great topic that we could talk about for days. Well, it's great that you've bounced around a little bit between verticals too. I'm sure you've pulled some of that industry knowledge from the various types of professional services into your role at Prior Cashman. Let's talk about that go-to market strategy. Specifically, it sounds like what you've done is you've really identified specific industries that you're going after. Tell us a little about this. Sure. I think that people pay attorneys to be myopic, right? You know, the devil's in the details. And that's a difficult transition to make from thinking about how you specifically practice law, how you're dotting the I's on the contracts or within a litigation, and then to really kind of come out and see the forest for the trees. So I can't take the credit for the line, but attorneys historically have really solved for the symptom, not for the patient. And so looking a little more broadly about that, it's really in how we align ourselves internally as law firms. While industry knowledge is obviously very important if you're a copyright attorney, looking at a restaurateur who doesn't care that David formed the company and I'm doing the restaurant management agreement, they want to go back to cooking. This is kind of a necessary cost of doing business for them. And so to have somebody who is intelligent, industry focused, and who can contextualize that information, not into a regurgitation of legal code, but more into, hey, here's what you need to do to achieve your business objectives is obviously mission critical in today's market. So we recognize that. We recognize that there's just an inherent difficulty in navigating our site. And I think if we couldn't really make sense of it, it's probably going to be pretty difficult for our clients too. So we really started with a firm-wide and website-wide audit. We had like 67 different pages, town leasing, commercial leasing, office leasing. You just got to look at it. Your original hypotheses, what they are, as you say, attorneys need data, they need evidence. And so really looking at the back end, combining that information with some of the financial data we had, we were able to really sort of identify these things down into 12 key industries and 13 key practice areas. A lot easier to navigate and being able to lean on data was really important to us. That's really interesting. So it sounds like you had this traditional practice group structure. And one of the onuses for change was when you were looking at your website, you saw a lot of complexity that would ultimately be facing people who were considering working with the firm or engaging the firm. You certainly saw internal complexities and who owns what and who's running what and so on and so forth. And so one of the things that triggered this reinvention and perhaps simplification down to eight industry groups sounds like the inherent complexity and ultimately shifting gears or shifting lenses to think, 
in terms of, well, what's the client's experience when they're interfacing with us on the website and when they're interfacing with our lawyers? And how can we translate this into their language more easily? Is that accurate? That's very accurate. They may not know what the specific legal issue is. They just know they're getting sued for some IP claim. You know, is that going to be a TTAB? Is that a USPTO thing? They may not know that. They've got obviously some decent awareness of that within the industry, but being able to really look at it from the audience's perspective, from your ideal client profile's perspective is really important. And so there's really creative benefits to doing that and bringing folks in from developing task forces and brainstorming. And obviously the client bases are the same. It just makes a lot more sense. So that's why it makes more sense to the client. Talk to me about how it has been helpful from the lawyer's perspective to make this change. You know, I think that the key issue identification, using this as really a platform to get people around the firm talking who maybe historically haven't done so, realizing that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there where we can anticipate needs, start to look into client life cycles and provide that proactive advice ahead of time. We're seeing just making stickier clients, obviously a lot of that evidence saying that clients who work with firms in two or more practice areas are much more likely to keep the relationship if someone leaves or whatever the case may be. So there's certainly a lot of benefits internally to the firm to sort of creating long-term client relationships. But I think that us being able to get out ahead and not be so reactive and to say, hey, we know that three months after X happens, that this is most likely going to happen. And being able to provide that looking around the corner approach, I think, brings a lot of value to clients. And we know that because we know the industry. We've really entrenched ourselves in the patterns and the trends and the regulations that are impacting this unique industry. We're experts in your world. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of what we're seeing. So talk to us about tactical execution here. What's a day in the life when you're looking at a firm that has structured itself around industry groups versus perhaps a firm that is taking a more traditional approach? Sure. I guess I could also delve a little bit into what that process looked like in terms of us looking at the analytics saying, hey, you know what, this person, we haven't tagged an event. We haven't had a news item here. We're seeing bounce rates tactically fall off. We're looking at the behavioral GA and seeing that people rarely going past two pages. Okay, what are we doing here? We're not having teaser content. In terms of the day-to-day, in terms of how BD team manages that, it's a lot more, I think, market analysis. It's a lot of bringing ideas that may not fit into the historical attorneys, um, the way that they're typically pigeonholed. So I find it much more creative because I'm maybe taking my employee benefits person and my art law person and putting them together and saying, hey, you know, what's coming around the bend for gallery owners? What's coming around the bend for folks who work in museums, given new regulations and things like that? And so it's really fun to continue to learn and watch the light bulbs go off with folks. And we're seeing just some creative alliances around the firm that I think can only help our clients in the long term. You know, I'm a big fan of Heidi Gardner's Smart Collaboration book, and it sounds like this environment provides a much easier tee-up to apply the principles that she talks about and get the lawyers talking to one another about shared interests as opposed to, yeah, well, if your client says they need some M&A work, just send them over to me, right? It's a very different kind of a mindset. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And you're seeing that change and that's really rewarding for us. You know, we love doing that. A lot of times I'm talking to my marketing department, I said, our job is really to build those structures for communication. We can't do it in a practice group. Are we setting up email threads because people are in different time zones? What are the things that we're doing? That's our job is to carve those pathways. And so when I became a CMO, I realized that I basically did a lot of taking the marketing and BD hat off and putting on the change agent hat. 
And so it's a lot of change management. It's a lot of celebrating those little wins and things that everyone talks about. But without those structures, they don't need to be formal, but you've got to get folks talking and you've got to be inch deep and a mile wide to be able to pull folks together who may not have historically really thought about that. And again, watching those gears turn is really exciting. One of the things I know you've mentioned to me prior is you've got industry roundtable initiatives that you've set up. You know, firms typically don't have practice area roundtables. It just doesn't make as much sense. Again, this notion of using the industry lens to identify needs, engage clients, and ultimately serve clients. Talk to us a little bit about those roundtables and the successes you've seen there. Sure. It's incredibly surprising. I mean, there's almost a perception as reality as well. It certainly was no more clear than COVID. Obviously, we had restaurants, pretty big hospitality and restaurant practice, really struggling during COVID, everything shutting down. We decided that we were going to bring people together. So we did a roundtable with people in the medical profession, doctors and dentists, everything from their supply chain. Obviously, you don't need 200 syringes to show up when your office is closed, et cetera. But we found that the attendance numbers, the engagement numbers were so intense, even though there's just a a little bit of difference between the supply chain issues of a doctor or dentist and the supply chain issues of a restaurant or the benefits. You know, obviously there are differences, but a lot of it's very similar. When we did this really generally for business owners, decent attendance, but we parlayed that and said, hey, this is specifically for doctors. I mean, it was our biggest numbers ever. We then pivoted that. I sort of led it and had our employee benefits. People come in for eight minutes and our insurance attorneys come in for eight to 10 minutes, labor people. And it was just a very smooth flowing conversation direct leads, direct matters, both for that and for restaurateurs, we did that as well. So just continuing to see that people want to know that you know what's coming around the bend, that you played in that space with them, and that that comfort level is really important for a long-term relationship. It's all in the data, and being able to point to that and prove those successes, kind of play off folks in terms of that competitive nature was really successful. And those types of data points do a lot more than us pounding our head against the wall. So we really point to a lot of data and how we influence the, the partnership. I want to circle back to something that you mentioned earlier, almost as a throwaway, but it ties right back into this, it's all about the data comment that you just made. You were talking about proving out the value of the industry group structure. And you mentioned that you've seen the evidence bear out in your Google Analytics behavioral data, in visits to industry pages, to bounce rates on those pages, and even industry mailings. So maybe just spend a moment or so talking about how those are kind of the touchstones that help you assess your success and whether or not as a marketing department, you're on the right track. Sure. Obviously, there's rotations around with marketing folks and new partners and life happens, right? And so after six or seven years looking and seeing that we have multiple lease pages, is everything mutually exclusive? Are we focused on issues? Is this the most accurate representation of the best way to put our foot forward? We had very specialized areas with maybe only one person working in them. We had duplicative things. Things aren't so cut and dry in our music practice. Tons of copyright issues, obviously, within that. There's also litigation. So, I mean, all of these things are kind of together. So using a lot of that data to say, which one of these areas are they coming in from? Where are they going next? Was that because they're not finding that answer? Let's start combining these things and take slow approaches and really lean on the data and see where people are coming from. So we were able to really centralize a lot of content, centralize a lot of issues and come up with nicknaming structures. It was fantastic. You know, improving our search strategy, looking at how people are searching stuff. So it's a lot of work, conducted a big SEO audit and leveraged a lot of that information, baked it back in, and we continue to do that. 
And so that's kind of the continued process that we're going to do. We're looking at specific issue-based splash pages, which issues are coming in that maybe don't fit as neatly into these industry buckets or into practice buckets. So it's a lot of fun, and we really earn the trust of the partnership by being able to have this evidence. Always good to have it in your back pocket. So typically, I just go and might pitch the EC on a particular initiative and always have something in my hand anticipating those questions. And the more you do it, I think the more comfortable you get with the questions you're going to get asked. So just being really prepared for that stuff is mission critical. And as you know, we don't get too many chances to try to influence people. So when you do, you got to do it right. How often are you logging into these dashboards and obsessing over the trends going up, going down, looking at the visitor's journey and so forth? probably more than I'd like to admit. I'm really into it, looking at LinkedIn and a lot of those analytics. And it's like those kind of shower thoughts, right? What do you think spawn this? Is it the content? Is it how it's presented? And again, earning the trust of the partnership is important. They let us fail fast, whether that's A-B testing on client mailings, whether that's different approaches to writing stuff. You know, I might bring in my pitch person and have her construct a couple of social posts to see how that goes. And just always kind of challenging folks. Hey, listen, we're not curing cancer here. We're obviously in an important role, pitching multi-million dollar law firms. But if we have one bad social post, it's not going to kill us. And so having that comfort in that enables us to be creative and try to be innovative and see what sticks. Makes sense. So if someone's listening to today's episode and thinking to themselves, how can I be a little bit more like Mike? How can I get a little bit closer to having a structure where the data really is informing decisions and I'm able to go to partnership with concrete evidence that we're heading in the right direction, or this is an area where we need to make a pivot and getting that easy support and approval from partnership, what would you recommend that they do first? What's the first step that they can take? I think generally, make sure that all the GA is really set up. Are your analytics set up correctly? Do you understand what that looks like? You know, I bought a pretty heavy Google Analytics textbook that I fell asleep to numerous nights, uh, but didn't let perfect be the enemy of good. I think starting a couple things, testing a couple of different things, whether that's specific to a practice area, specific to an industry. If you don't have that data, there's other ways to get external data. It's a lot of different tools, whether that's Ahrefs you're looking at, Moz. So just get started and be able to start to inform your decisions. And it can be as small as looking at one person's bio. It could be as small as a single practice page, but you're not going to be able to manage what you can't measure. So that would be my advice. Very good. Well, Mike, we sure appreciate you sharing your advice with us today and wishing you uh, all the best as you continue with your industry-focused strategy at Prior Cashman. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Today's episode was brought to you by Pipeline Plus. We solve business development problems for professionals around the world. Visit PipelinePlus.com to learn more about our technology and coaching solutions.